God is glorious in his saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints Podcast. My name is Dr. Darren Ong, recording from Sepang in Malaysia. In this podcast, we explore the lives of the Christian saints from the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. Today, we commemorate the Domitian and Assumption of the Virgin Mary. We had an episode about the Virgin Mary in general. This was the second episode of the Christian Saints podcast. The Domitian refers specifically to the separation of Mary's soul from her body, whereas the Assumption is the belief that her body, or her body and soul together, were taken up into heaven. In simple terms, this event, celebrated on August the 15th, commemorates the end of Mary's time on earth. The events around the Domitian and Assumption are not in the Bible, but are part of church tradition. Let us read from this account of Mary's last days on earth from the website of the Orthodox Church of America. Day and night, she spent her time in prayer. The Holy Theotokos that is, Mary, went often to the holy sepulchre of the Lord, and here she offered up fervent prayer. More than once enemies of the Saviour sought to hinder her from visiting her holy place, and they asked the high priest for a guard to watch over the grave of the Lord. The Holy Virgin continued to pray right in front of them, yet unseen by anyone. In one such visit to Golgotha, the archangel Gabriel appeared to her and announced her approaching departure from this life to eternal life. In pledge of this, the archangel gave her a palm branch. With these heavenly tidings, the mother of God returned to Bethlehem with the three girls attending her, Sephora, Abigail, and Jael. She summoned righteous Joseph of Arimathea and other disciples of the Lord and told them of her impending repose. The Most Holy Virgin prayed also that the Lord would have the Apostle John come to her. The Holy Spirit transported him from Ephesus, setting him in that very place where the Mother of God lay. After the prayer, the Holy Virgin offered incense and John heard a voice from heaven, closing her prayer with the word Amen. The mother of God took it that the voice meant the speedy arrival of the apostles and the disciples and the holy bodiless powers. The faithful, whose number by then was impossible to count, gathered together, says St. John of Damascus, like clouds and eagles, to listen to the mother of God. Seeing one another, the disciples rejoiced, but in their confusion, they asked each other why the Lord had gathered them together in one place. St. John, the theologian, greeting them with tears of joy, said that the time of the Virgin's repose was at hand. Going in to the Mother of God, they beheld her lying upon the bed 
and filled with spiritual joy. The disciples greeted her, and then they told her how they had been carried miraculously from their miraculously from their places of preaching. The most holy virgin Mary glorified God because he had heard her prayer and fulfilled her heart's desire, and she began speaking about her imminent end. During this conversation, the apostle Paul also appeared in a miraculous manner together with his disciples, Dionysus the Areopagite, St. Herotheus, St. Timothy, and others of the seventy apostles. The Holy Spirit had gathered them all together so that they might be granted the blessing of the all-pure Virgin Mary, and more fittingly to see to the burial of the Mother of the Lord. She called each of them to herself by name. She blessed them and extolled them for their faith and the hardships they endured in preaching the gospel of Christ. To each she wished eternal bliss and prayed with them for the peace and welfare of the whole world. Then came the third hour when the Domitian of the Mother of God was to occur. A number of candles were burning. The holy disciples surrounded her beautifully adorned bed, offering praise to God. She prayed in anticipation of her demise and of the arrival of her longed-for Son and Lord. Suddenly, the inexpressible light of divine glory shone forth, before which the blazing candles paled in comparison. All who saw it took fright. Descending from heaven was Christ, the King of glory, surrounded by hosts of angels and archangels and other heavenly powers, together with the souls of the forefathers and the prophets, who had prophesied in ages past concerning the Holy Virgin Mary. Seeing her son, the mother of God exclaimed, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour, for he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. And rising from her bed to meet the Lord, she bowed down to him, and the Lord bid her enter into life eternal, without any bodily suffering, as though in a happy sleep, the most holy Virgin Mary gave her soul into the hands of her Son and God. Then began a joyous angelic song, accompanying the pure soul of the God dethroned and with reverent awe for the Queen of Heaven. The angels exclaimed, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. For lo, the Queen, God's maiden, comes. Lift up the gates, and with the ever-existing one, take up the Mother of Light. For through her salvation has come to all the human race. It is impossible to gaze upon her, and it is impossible to render her due honor. The heavenly gates were raised, and meeting the soul of the Most Holy Mother of God, the cherubim and the seraphim glorified her with joy. The face of the Mother of God was radiant with the glory of divine virginity, and from her body there came a sweet fragrance. The Domitian and Assumption of Mary is celebrated on August the 15th. The Roman Catholic Church in the West 
typically calls August 15th the Feast of the Assumption of Mary, whereas the Eastern Orthodox Church and Eastern Rite Catholic Churches refer to it as the Feast of the Domitian of Mary. There is clearly a difference in emphasis between the Eastern and Western tradition, but it is not clear to me if there is actually a theological difference between Eastern Orthodox and Roman Catholic understanding surrounding this day. There might be, I just might not know enough about both traditions. But one difference I can say for sure is that for the Eastern Orthodox, Mary definitely died. Whereas for the Roman Catholics, it is unclear whether or not Mary died before she was assumed. In 1950, Pope Pius outlined the Catholic dogma around the assumption in a document called Munificentissimus Deus, using the phrase, she completed the course of her earthly life, leaving unsaid whether Mary died or not. Pope John Paul II, in a 1997 speech, stated that some theologians have in fact maintained that the Blessed Virgin did not die and was immediately raised from earthly life to heavenly glory. However, this opinion was unknown until the 17th century whereas a common tradition actually exists which sees Mary's death as her entry into heavenly glory. Let's quote from more of this homily by Pope John Paul II, presented in 1997, as it contains a beautiful reflection on the Domitian and Assumption. Involved in Christ's redemptive work and associated in his saving sacrifice, Mary was able to share in his suffering and death for the sake of humanity's redemption. What Severus of Antioch says about Christ also applies to her. Without a preliminary death, how could the resurrection have taken place? To share in Christ's resurrection, Mary had first to share in his death. The New Testament provides no information on the circumstances of Mary's death. This silence leads one to suppose that it happened naturally, with no detail particularly worthy of mention. If this were not the case, how could the information about it have remained hidden from her contemporaries and not have been passed down to us in some way? As to the cause of Mary's death, the opinions that wish to exclude her from death by natural causes seem groundless. It is more important to look for the Blessed Virgin's spiritual attitude at the moment of her departure from this world. In this regard, St. Francis de Sol maintains that Mary's death was due to a transport of love. He speaks of a dying in love, from love, and through love, going so far as to say that the Mother of God died of love for her son Jesus. Whatever, from the physical point of view, was the organic, biological cause of the end of her bodily life, it can be said for Mary the passage from this life to the next was the full development of grace and glory, so that no death can ever be so fittingly described as a domitian as hers. In some of the writings of the Church Fathers, we find Jesus himself described as coming to take his mother at the time of her death, to bring her into heavenly glory. 
In this way, they present the death of Mary as an event of love which conducted her to her divine son to share his immortal life. At the end of her earthly life, she must have experienced, like Paul and more strongly, the desire to be freed from her body in order to be with Christ forever. The experience of death personally enriched the Blessed Virgin. By undergoing mankind's common destiny, she can more effectively exercise her spiritual motherhood towards those approaching the last moment of their life. For an Eastern Orthodox perspective, let us turn to a passage from Father Thomas Hopko's famous book, The Orthodox Faith. The Feast of the Domitian, or Falling Asleep of the Theotokos, is celebrated on the 15th of August, preceded by a two-week fast. This feast, which is also sometimes called the Assumption, commemorates the death, resurrection, and glorification of Christ's mother. It proclaims that Mary has been assumed by God into the heavenly kingdom of Christ in the fullness of her spiritual and bodily existence. As with the nativity of the Virgin and the feast of her entrance to the temple, there are no biblical or historical sources for this feast. The tradition of the church is that Mary died as all people die, not voluntarily as her son but by the necessity of her mortal human nature, which is indivisibly bound up with the corruption of this world. The Orthodox Church teaches that Mary is without personal sins. In the Gospel of the Feast, however, in the liturgical services and in the Domitian icon, the Church proclaims as well that Mary truly needed to be saved by Christ, as all human persons are saved from the trials, sufferings, and death of this world, and that having truly died, she was raised up by her son as the mother of life, and participates already in the eternal life of paradise, which is prepared and promised to all who hear the word of God and keep it. In giving birth, you preserve your virginity. In falling asleep, you did not forsake the world, O Theotokos. You were translated to life, O mother of life and by your prayers you deliver our souls from death. This is the troparian for this day. Neither the tomb nor death could hold the Theotokos, who is constant in prayer and our firm hope in her intercessions. For being the mother of life, she was translated to life by the one who dwelt in her virginal womb. This is the Kontakian for this day. The services of the feast repeat the main theme, that the mother of life has passed over into the heavenly joy, into the divine gladness and unending delight of the kingdom of her son. The Old Testament readings, as well as the gospel readings for the vigil and the divine liturgy, are exactly the same as those for the feast of the Virgin's nativity and her entrance into the temple. Thus, at the vigil, we again hear Mary say, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Saviour. At the Divine Liturgy, 
we hear the letter to the Philippians where St. Paul speaks of the self-emptying of Christ, who condescends to human servitude and ignoble death in order to be highly exalted by God his Father. And once again, we hear in the Gospel that Mary's blessedness belongs to all who hear the Word of God and keep it. Thus, the Feast of the Domitian of the Theotokos is the celebration of the fact that all men are highly exalted in the blessedness of the victorious Christ, and that this high exaltation has already been accomplished in Mary the Theotokos. The Feast of the Domitian is the sign, the guarantee, and the celebration that Mary's fate is the destiny of all those of low estate whose souls magnify the Lord, whose spirits rejoice in God the Saviour, whose lives are totally dedicated to hearing and keeping the Word of God, which is given to men in Mary's child, the Saviour and Redeemer of the world. Finally, it must be stressed that, in all the feasts of the Virgin Mother of God in the Church, the Orthodox Christians celebrate facts of their own lives in Christ and the Holy Spirit. What happens to Mary happens to all who imitate her holy life of humility, obedience, and love. With her, all people will be blessed to be more honorable than the cherubim and beyond compare more glorious than the seraphim if they follow her example. All will have Christ born in them by the Holy Spirit. All will become temples of the living God. All will share in the eternal life of his kingdom, who lived the life that Mary lived. In this sense, everything that is praised and glorified in Mary is a sign of what is offered to all persons in the life of the Church. It is for this reason that Mary, with the divine child Jesus within her, is called in the Orthodox tradition the image of the Church. For the assembly of the saved is those in whom Christ dwells. Finally, let us read the words of St. John of Damascus, a theologian who lived in the 7th and 8th centuries, on his thoughts on the Domitian and Resurrection. Then they reached the most sacred Gethsemane, and once again there were embracings and prayers and panegyrics, hymns and tears poured forth by sorrowful and loving hearts. They mingled a flood of weeping and sweating, and thus the immaculate body was laid in the tomb. Then it was assumed after three days to the heavenly mansions. The bosom of the earth was no fitting receptacle for the Lord's dwelling place, the living source of cleansing water, the corn of heavenly bread, the sacred vine of divine wine, the evergreen and fruitful olive branch of God's mercy. And just as the all-holy body of God's Son, which was taken from her, rose from the dead on the third day, it followed that she should be snatched from the tomb, that the mother should be united to her son, and as he had come down to her, so she should be raised up to him, into the more perfect dwelling place, heaven itself. It was meet that she, who had sheltered God the Word in her own womb, should inhabit the tabernacles of her son. And as our Lord said, it behooved him to be concerned with his father's business, 
So it behooved his mother that she should dwell in the courts of her son, in the house of the Lord, and in the courts of the house of our God. If all those who rejoice dwell in him, where must the cause itself of joy abide? It was fitting that the body of her, who preserved her virginity unsullied in her motherhood, should be kept from corruption even after death. She who nursed her creator as an infant at her breast had a right to be in the divine tabernacles. The place of the bride, whom the father had espoused, was in the heavenly courts. It was fitting that she who saw her son die on the cross and received in her heart the sort of pain which she had not felt in childbirth should gaze upon him, seated next to the father. The mother of God had a right to the possession of her son, and as handmaid and mother of God to the worship of all creation, the inheritance of the parents ever passes to the children. Now, as a wise man said, the sources of sacred waters are above. The son made all creation serve his mother. Let us then also keep solemn feast today to honor the joyful departure of God's mother. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Christian Saints Podcast. Look for the Christian Saints Podcast page on Facebook and Instagram, or find us on Twitter at podcast underscore saints. All music in this episode was composed by my good friend, James John Marks of Generative Sounds. Please check out his music at generativesoundsjjm.bandcamp.com. Let us end this episode by reading from Scripture, the book of Revelation, chapter 11, verse 19, to chapter 12, verse 6, a passage that is often connected to the Domitian and Assumption. The writing is very metaphorical and hard to understand. But to help understand it, uh, recall that the Ark of the Covenant and the woman in this story are identified with the Virgin Mary. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the Ark of his Covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, the earthquake and a severe hailstorm. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain, as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky, and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman, who was about to give birth, so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, and her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness, to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for one thousand two hundred and sixty days. Thank you.